Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Senior Pastor John Lofton. Amen. If you were to write down a title for the message today, uh, you can write down the seven statements of our Savior. The seven statements of our Savior. Um, we were reading in the book of Corinth, and, and Paul, Apostle Paul, was addressing the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was at the heart of Greek culture. Um, if you know anything about the Greek culture, the Greeks did not believe that there was going to be a bodily resurrection. But they did believe that there was going to be some type of spiritual resurrection. So Apostle Paul put in this little part uh, into the book of Corinthians to bring some correction so that they can have a good understanding about what the resurrection was all about and why the resurrection was important. The resurrection for uh, Christians is at the center of our beliefs. And it, I read you in the Bible that if Christ is, hasn't risen from the dead, then, then we are in trouble, which means we are still in our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And there had to be a perfect sacrifice. So God is a spirit. But he sent his son as a man because God could not swear by man or by no other. So he swore by himself. So he put himself in his son so that Jesus could walk as a man, talk as a man, live as a man, hurt as a man, have emotions as a man. So Jesus, who is not unfamiliar with the feelings of our infirmities, but yet in all points he was tempted like us, but yet without sin. So Jesus understands how we feel when we're confused, when we're hurting. He understands what it feels like to, be, to have sin in your life at the very end. He lived a sinless life, but he had sin. I'll straighten it up in just a second because I know you know Jesus didn't have any sin, but yes, he did. He had to. He had our sins at the very end. Hello. But he lived a sinless life. All the way up until the point to where he was about to die when the father had to put sin in his body. And we're going to see that in a little bit. And so Paul in verse 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still under condemnation to your sins. So Paul was coming to the Corinthian church and to say that you were a Christian in Paul's day was not like you're getting a step up. To say that you were a Christian at the time of Apostle Paul, you were saying that I'm ready for criticism. I'm ready to be persecuted. I am ready to be ostracized. And in some points, if you continue to read the history of what happened with our founding fathers of the gospel, a lot of them had to suffer poverty. A lot of them were actually hit on their backs with a cat of nine tails just like Jesus. So to, at that time to say that you were a Christian was, was not a very lucrative thing to do. It was not for you to come out and put some, have some business cards and say, I'm pastor this and I'm, I'm apostle that and I'm, I'm bishop this so that you can get a, a leg up. See, at this time, if you said that you were a Christian, you probably got hit upside the head with a rock. So this was, this was a, a time that you didn't even want to say that you were a Christian, but yet these men were very vocal about their Christianity. We live in a day and a time right now where we are free to say, free to express what we want to express, but yet we got a lot of closet Christians. Oh, yeah, you, you're all up 
in the church and you're talking about God this and God that in the church. But when you get around your friends, when you get out in the workplace, you don't even want to say the name of Jesus because you fear persecution. They might not like me. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'm offended. I'm offended that when you, you try to make me condone what you do when you want to live wrong, I get offended by that. Not that I'm, I'm all that right myself, but I do know what's wrong. Amen? I'm endeavoring to do it, but there are some people who know what's wrong and right, and they still choose to do what's wrong. It's the difference to been falling in sin, and you keep sinning. Okay, you came to the right church because we do a deal with stuff like that. Praise God. And so that's why we have the cross, amen? So when we speak of the cross, it's not just the cross is some little wooden object that stuck in the ground over 2,000 years ago that it's not even relevant to us today. When Christians think of the cross, it has a lot of meaning to it. See, when we think of the cross, we're thinking about everything that Jesus did so that we can be free. See, when we think of the cross, we think about our lives and what we did, but yet there was somebody that was willing to die for me. See, Romans 5 and 8 it clears it up that said God proved his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, when you were slipping, tripping, and all that stuff, we used to do, wait a minute, am I in the Wait a minute, all of y'all were just holy, you came out on the biblical car speaking in tongues? Walking down the hallway talking about Jesus loves you in your pampers. Some of y'all lived a little bit, huh? How many of y'all lived a little something, something, right? Got, went to the club. Oh, Lord, can I say that in the church? How many of y'all went to the club? Amen. All right, I got some company up in here. Yeah, we, we, we did our stuff. Amen. So you, you ain't looking at a pastor been saved since he was, he was five. No, I got saved later on in life. Right? So I thank God for his salvation to save my crazy behind. Right? And so, but, but listen, but I did, I was out there. But listen, even when I was out there, I knew I was doing wrong. <laughs> I, I, I was convicted. I still did it. But I was convicted. I didn't know how to deal with it because I was in my flesh. You got to have the Holy Spirit to do right. That's why some people come to me with, Pastor, um, I'm going to come to your church when I get my life right. Well, I, I know right then, no, I'll never see that, brother. Because there's absolutely no way you can get your life right. you got to have something to help you. you got to have God to help you. Listen, you're not going to get your life right till you get to God. Listen, the best place for you is in the church. The church is full of flawed people, including the one speaking to you. All of us got issues. So since you're in the right place, you might as well keep on coming. Allow the word of God to permeate your heart so that you can get the conviction that you need so that you can change. But without the Holy Spirit, there is no change. Am I talking to the right people? Glory to God. So when Jesus addressed these people over 2,000 years ago, he made seven statements. And when Jesus made these statements, uh, it addressed a world much like the world today, a world that had acquiesced to sin and, and depravity. It was a government ruled by corruption and egocentric and narcissistic leaders. We know Pilate was narcissistic. We know, we know the leaders were all corrupt. Herod was corrupt. So that world is much like huh, the world today. Leaders can't keep the britches up. They can't pay their taxes. Yes. 
on both sides. None of them are doing it right, as far as I'm concerned. All of them ought to all be fired. Put some Christians up there that know what's, what's to do, what to do, and, and how to do it. Amen? We are, he was also looking at a religious society that was spiritually inept and morally bankrupt. Much like what you see today. Now, it was also a chosen group of people. We know them as the disciples. These disciples now were hiding at this particular time instead of standing in faith. See, this was a time when thousands of Jesus' followers chose to follow him no more. Now, notice when they made this decision, they made it because Jesus' teaching had turned. He had performed all of these miracles, and he had fed their bellies to 5,000. It was about 15,000 people. Notice he fed their bellies, and they followed Jesus. But when Jesus began to turn the tables on them and began to teach them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which was a metaphor, which means you need to eat his word and understand the redemptive value of the cross. It was a metaphor. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about a metaphor. He thought that they had an education level now that they can understand spiritual things, but they looked that Jesus said, uh, Jesus, oh, this is a hard saying here, huh? Uh, we don't want to follow what you're talking about here. And the Bible said that they follow him no more. This was a strange time. This was the same time that one of his confidants decided to go and get 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. There are people right now, they only live as a Christian when it's financially able for them to do something great. Oh, they want the money. They want the prestige. They want a new $65 million jet. Oh, yeah, I'll talk about it. I don't, I'm not scared at all. I'm not scared at all. I'm not scared at all. There are some things that's corrupting the church, man, and we got we to gotta bring back integrity and a moral compass back into the pulpit so that we can have some preachers who stick with the word of God and stop trying to capitulate to the culture. It was a time when the people didn't have faith in the God of heaven anymore. This was a time much like the time today. It was a time when the insurrection of the religious people, they said they, we would rather kill Jesus than to kill a murderer in Barabbas. It was a time when Jesus had to carry his cross 1,600 feet down the Via Della Rosa all the way to Golgotha's Hill commonly known as Calvary. It was a strange time. And it was at this time when Jesus spoke something into history. And this is exactly what I want to talk about today because he made seven statements. And these statements teaches us what's available to every person if we embrace the cross. Seven statements. The first statement can be found in Luke chapter 23. You can write this down. Now I'm going to go through these because there's a lot. So write this down. Luke chapter 23, verse 20, verse 34, it says this. This is, this is the first words that Jesus said when he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the first thing you must understand is that forgiveness is available for everyone. Jesus spoke this to a group of people. The Pharisees hated him. The Romans feared him. The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin court wanted him dead. Judas betrayed him. Pilate sentenced him. And the crowds conspired to crucify him. Now, I know it would be real easy to just assume that Jesus was speaking to these people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
But I had to go a little bit deeper in understanding the words of Jesus because it wasn't just these people that were at the foot of the cross. His disciples are the men who followed him for a little over three years. His disciples are the ones that saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle. His disciples saw Jesus go to the woman at the well and pull in a group of people that all the Jews hated, known as Samaritans. It was the disciples that saw Jesus walk into Jairus' house when his 12-year-old daughter was dead and said, Talitha Kuma, I say unto you, damsel, arise. And she got up and he said, give her something to eat. It was the disciples that was with Jesus when they walked in the city called Nain when this woman was walking out with her son in a coffin and Jesus touched the coffin and the boy rose up from the dead. It was the disciples that saw Jesus walk up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And his blood started pumping and his heart started beating and he rose from the dead. It was the disciples that saw this. But yet when Jesus was arrested, where were they? None of them rose up in revolt. None of them cut off heads. None of them said, oh, this is not going to happen to my master. Where were they? So could it be, could it be, could it be that these words from Jesus goes much deeper than whom we think they were for? What if, what if these words were for the disciples, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? What if these words cut deeper to the Christian? Because when Christians are supposed to be defending the faith, they're still running and hiding. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What if Jesus was addressing everybody, not just the faces at the cross, but also those that were running and hiding? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What if every time you refuse to defend the faith, you hear these words from Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? What if every time you got somebody that want to live in sin, trying to tell you that you're narrow-minded, and you do nothing about it, you just sit there and take it? Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. What if, what if you have somebody that's a Muslim coming to you and talking about your Jesus? And you, you just take it and don't defend the faith. I say to you, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many of you willing to stand for what you believe? Yeah, even, even if you get persecuted. No, everybody's not going to like you. I know it. Everybody don't like me. Trust me. I know I'm likable. And I'm good. I'm a nice person. I'm a very nice person. But I, 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 I live for my master. I live for the one that delivered me from alcoholism. I, I live for that one. I live for that one that got me out of the clubs. I live for that one. I live for the one that, that healed me from cancer. That's the one I live for. Amen? And so I'm, I'm willing to take a stand for Jesus because Jesus over 2,000 years ago was willing to take a stand for me. Amen? And so if he was willing to take a stand for you, why don't you stand for him? So the first saying right here it speaks to us about forgiveness. Now, something here, you notice, it said, Father, forgive them for they. Them for they. Now, this is going to make more sense because when we look at the second statement, Jesus' words is going to change. Somebody say them. Say they. Now, we all know if we, 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 we had some kind of education that them and they, uh, pronouns, plural, pronouns, personal, pronouns. Third person. We know that, right? Uh, let me go back to school. We do know that, right? Where, where are our teenagers at? They say, oh, Lord. <laughs> Pastor, I was sleeping in that class. <laughs> Somebody say them. Yeah. Say they. Yeah. 
Okay, so the first statement is about forgiveness. Let's look at the second statement, then we're going to talk about the them and the they in just a second. So the second statement is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. It says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today you shall be with me. Somebody say them. Say they. Now in this sentence, he says me and you. So the first statement is to the masses of people, but the second statement is the individual choice. So, so it went from third person, plural, pronoun, them and they, to first person, me and you. So this one right here is speaking about your personal choices. So let me just lay the backdrop here. There were three crosses on Mount Calvary, right? Everybody say three. There was three crosses. So Jesus was in the middle cross. And so there was two other crosses on Calvary. So one thief on one cross chose to reject Jesus. The other thief on the other cross chose to repent. You got that. So, so this cross was a cross of rejection. The middle cross was a cross of redemption. This cross was a cross of repentance. Question. Since none of us are able to get on this cross of redemption, the only two crosses that are left is the cross of rejection or the cross of repentance. Now, the question, the question, the question, the question is, which cross are you on? Because all of us are on one of those crosses every moment that we live. You are either on the cross of rejection, which is also a cross of rebellion, or you are on the cross of repentance. You are either embracing the cross and what Jesus Christ did for you, or you are rejecting the cross and denying that he died for you. There is no middle ground. You either embrace it or you don't. Jesus said, you will love me. It's almost like being a little pregnant. You can't be a little pregnant. You either pregnant You are either in sin or you're not. And we got to get back to talking about sin in the Bible anyway. Whatever happened to that? No, just want to pat on the back and let you just walk out there and sin and die and go to hell? I'm, don't, don't, I ain't going to preach a funeral if I don't know where you're going. Can't nobody come up to me and say, Pastor, I know he's in heaven. How you know that? No, if, if, if I haven't seen them and I, and, I, and I don't know their lifestyle, I'm not going to be some pastor up there talking about I know they're in a better place. They may not be. So that's why I'm always saying, if you're going to want me to do the funeral, I got to know something about that person's life. Otherwise, I'm going to just say, hey, praise God, he's dead, you living. What you going to do? Because he ain't going to be resurrected, and if, he, if he's not saved, I don't play games with God, saints of God, and I don't mix words either. Oh, no, I'm not going to sit up in here and talk about they're in a better place. Because there is another place, saints. Everybody in this room is going to live forever. Somewhere. And you got to make a choice, and that choice better be made today. Because I'm willing to stand flat-footed because I love you. And I'm willing to tell you the truth, even if you don't like what I got to say. Because I'm not here to make friends. I got some friends. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to preach the gospel message. Hello, saints. And you can't vote me out so I can keep on preaching it. 
The Bible said Jesus was numbered with the transgressors, and he made intercession for them. For them. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Isn't that awesome, saints? Now notice, why would Jesus say, today you shall be with me if Jesus was dying? Unless he knew something. Are you saying this with me? Jesus just don't haphazardly say things. Everything has meaning when Jesus says it. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise because Jesus knew he was going to live. Somebody shout, he's alive. Salvation. See, this second statement speaks of salvation. It is the Greek word, uh, soteria, soteria, and it means deliverance, preservation. Uh, per, uh, <laughs> Sorry, safety. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so that's what salvation means. <laughs> but Arthur Pinks is a guy that I study. I, I do a lot of his study, and if you really want to get into some old theologians, go look up A.W. Pinks. I, I study a lot of his stuff. He said when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, and most importantly, the pleasure of sin. See, that last one, I like the last one because I don't know any sin that I did that I didn't like. And if you can sit here, like my mama would say, and if you can sit here and say that there was sin that you didn't like, you would be a liar. Now, how many of you are willing to lie and say, I sinned, but I didn't like it? <laughs> Let me see what lightning is going to strike. Amen. <laughs> I every, every sin, I, I liked it. I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody with me on that? Uh, nothing I did, I didn't like. That's why I kept doing it. You ain't going to keep doing it if you didn't like it. Amen. And you, and you knew you were doing wrong, but you kept doing it. So the first statement, it deals with forgiveness. The second statement deals with salvation. Let's do the third one. The third one can be found in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. I know I'm talking fast, but I'm trying to get it all out so I can get you out of here. John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27 deals with the third statement. The third statement says, dear woman, here's your son. Son, here is your mother. So the third statement deals with love. Love is available to everyone. Forgiveness, salvation, and love. These are the three things that Jesus has already dealt with in just those statements. Now, I can only imagine in my mind how torn Mary was when she saw her son on the cross. See, see, if you put yourself in the picture, it'll make more sense, saints of God. And I always say, if you want to get a panoramic view of what was really going on, put yourself in the picture. Now, this was Mary. Mary, Mary had never known a man when she was pregnant with Jesus. See, Mary, Mary was pure, and, and she was holy. And, and, and she, so, because she was pure and holy, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, enveloped her, and she became pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit, and she became pregnant with something that was holy because she was holy and she was devout. And if you want to carry something that's holy, then you yourself must be holy. You yourself must be devout. Otherwise, you're giving birth to something else. And see, whatever you're giving birth to, that lets you know who your daddy is. And, uh, and some of us got to ask, well, who's your daddy? And a lot of us don't even know who our daddies are. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus confronted a group of people like that. He said, yeah, I know who your daddy is. <laughs> See, your daddy's not my daddy. Amen. See, he said, Jesus said, your daddy is the devil. Uh, yeah, see, I don't say stuff like that. That's pretty. See, people, people, that's why they don't like Jesus. They like to talk about God, but that Jesus people don't like because Jesus, Jesus drew a line in the sand. Jesus said, yeah, I know your daddy. Your daddy is the devil because the works that you do is the same works he do. Jesus called people snakes and hypocrites. 
Yeah, that loving Jesus, that compassionate one. But because he loved us, he told us the truth, right? Now, listen, let me, let me ask you something because let's, let's, that was a, a spiritual reality. But let me, let me bring this home a little bit. Would you rather to have a pastor that's going to pat you on the back and let you die in your sin and you go to hell and you're trying to wonder why your pastor didn't tell you the truth? Or would you rather have a pastor that's going to hurt your feelings and tell you what you need to hear and you might even get saved and go to heaven? Now, which pastor would you desire? Because if you want number two, number one is down the street. <laughs> now, I'm not saying where. I'm just saying down the street. <laughs> That, 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 can be, that can be like in the next state, amen, because I'm, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I, I can only speak for me, right? Because when I was attending church, I wanted a man of God to stand on this pulpit to tell me when I needed to change. Because, see, most men are prideful. Let me just stick with the men for a second here. Because most men got so much pride and arrogance about them, they don't think that nobody can talk to them, and they don't need anybody. But I'm telling every man in this room right now, you need another man in your life. You need somebody that's going to just going to tell you, pull your britches up. Well, that's a figure of speech because I know all of y'all put your, pull your britches up. But I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Get you straight. And the young men tell them, pull their britches up. Right? Because they need to do that because they look a hot mess. Right? I don't want to see your drawers. I'm sorry, underwear. Y'all look at me. I can't. I, pastor said drawers. Well, that's how we say it in Alabama. They're not drawers. They're drawers. Nasty. <laughs> you know, it's women doing that now. I work in Uptown. It's, it's women. Got the. Got the. All right. So y'all got me off now. So, so we're talking about love. <laughs> Let's get back to this love statement. Amen. And so, so Jesus from the cross, he looks at his mother who probably did not quite understand everything that she was seeing at this particular time. But if you go back into history, you can, you can look up a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon. Now, Simeon was in the temple at the time when Jesus was a baby. And let me, let me refresh your memory. When the parents brought Jesus into the temple, he took Christ in his arms as a baby because God told him that he would not die until he saw the risen Lord. So when he saw Jesus, he knew that this was the Lord. He laid a blessing on Jesus, but he said something different to Mary. Let me read it to you. He says something different to Mary. And you can find this in John chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. He said, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through his own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That was the prophetic word that Mary received about Jesus. Now, let me, now how many parents I got in the house? Okay, now, let's just say you came to church and I gave you a word like that about your child. You know, one day, if he's a real prophet, if I'm a real prophet, that's going to come to pass. But notice on this day, even, she, even though she got those words, even on this day, she still had a hard time seeing it. Because I don't think she understood depth of what he was going to go through and Jesus looked at her and said woman this is your son because I believe that Jesus wanted Mary to look at him not as her son anymore but as her savior because if it moves from son to savior now she can better understand that he had a destiny 
and that it was a purpose why he had to die, and he had to die so that she could live. Glory to God. And so it was the love of Jesus to say in front of all those people, because women at that time had no rights. They were treated like dogs. So when Jesus said, woman, this is your son, son, this is your mother, what he did was set up Mary so that after he was gone, Mary had somebody to take care of her. So in other words, let me tell you this. In other words, Jesus had his family on his mind when he was on the cross. See, saints of God, there are a lot of people who go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church. They're doing this for the church. They're doing that for the church. And when you look at the family, I'm going to get good and ghetto. It's going to be all right, y'all. Please forgive me. But when you look at the family, the the family's all jacked up. I told y'all I was going to go ghetto for a second. I'm, I'm coming back. Why? Because they're always in church. Now, I'm not knocking you going to church, but you don't, you don't go to church and just, just ignore your family. See, see, one thing about everybody that are partners of this church, they understand I ain't in love with you. I'm in love with her. She's my wife. He gave me one so I don't have to marry your behind. <laughs> Amen? I, I ain't in love with you. I love you. But he gave me my own woman so I don't have to mess with his woman. See, that's the problem with a lot of pastors. When they fall in love with their church, they begin in competition with Jesus. You're not my woman. You're Jesus' woman. I ain't messing with his woman, especially when I got my own. So no man in here got to worry about me messing with your wife. And none of these single women got to worry about that. I, I, boy, boy, I'm telling you what, you got you you to come up. You're going to have to come up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to have to come up. I got, I got something good at the house. I ain't got to worry about it. And I ain't faking for you either. You, all you got to do is come to my house, and you can see what, what, how we act at home. My daughter tell you how we act at home. Crazy. We do. We do. Like I told y'all before, if we're fussing, we're going to fuss in front of you. We ain't going to sit up there in front like, baby, you know, we're in front of church folk. We shouldn't be saying that. No, we're going to fuss in front of you. Why? Because you need to see we fuss. And then we make up, praise God. Glory to God. That's the best part. Yup, and let me move on. <laughs> uh, we'll be getting out of here real early. Praise God. Okay, that was number three. Number four, number four. I know, I know I'm, I'm way behind. <laughs> oh, God. Number four, number four, number four. The fourth statement was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the fourth statement. It speaks of atonement. So the first one is what? Forgiveness. Second one? Salvation. Third? Love. And this one? Atonement. Atonement. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a very uh, interesting statement because for the very first time, and this is what I was talking about, about sin, for the very first time, God had to turn his back on Jesus. So Jesus is, is going to God and saying, why have you forsaken me? Because for the very first time, the son now is away from the father. Why? Because Jesus has sin in him. See, that sin was compressed in his body, and it started at the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when he prayed and he prayed until he bled sweat. His sweat was like droplets of blood. Well, that's when, it, that's when the sweat glands broke off into his blood capillaries because there was so much pressure being compressed in his body at that time that his body didn't know how to handle all that pressure. And when he, and when he was sweating, it was actually blood. 
his body went through a process called hemetohydrosis. And so what happened was when, when, when that happened, Jesus was in so much pain at this time. Because after this is when he was strapped on his back with 39 lashes. So not only he had sin in him, now he had lost so much blood from the lashes he received because of us. So he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? I want to read you something in Psalm 22. Can I go there for a second? Let me read you something in Psalm 22. I told you I love this Bible, so let's go to Psalm 22. I want to read you something. I don't know if you've ever seen this, these scriptures before, but I want to read them in your hearing because I believe it will bless you. Psalm 22, I'm going to start reading. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groanings and my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not shamed. And this is what got me when I read this. He said, but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by people. This is Jesus. You hear the humility in this? He said, I'm, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. See, when you look up that word worm in the Hebrew, it was this particular worm um, that uh, in Hebrew is called a tola, tola. And um, this worm, it's interesting, the, the, the mother, the, the female worm, would attach herself to something that was wooden. And she would attach herself so much so that she was permanently attached, that she, would, she could not break free from this wood. She would lay her eggs under her body. And she would wait. And about the time when her larvae would, would hatch and, and, and her eggs would hatch, she would die. And as she died, there was this crimson dye that would flow from her body and fill the wood that was encapsulated by her body. And as her young ones would be giving birth through her body, because she was dead, they come through that crimson to be born. What a beautiful metaphor. That the only way that we can be birthed into the kingdom of God yes. is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. So Jesus said, I am a worm because I am giving birth. I'm shedding my blood so that I can give birth to the kingdom of God. And you may get to Jesus in a multiplicity of ways, but there is only one way that you can get to God. And Jesus said, I am the way. The only one that died on a bloody cross was Jesus. And it's his blood that allows us the freedom to get to the Father. Amen? Glory to God. So atonement. Let's go to the fifth one. The fifth one is found in John chapter 19, 28. He says, I thirst. I thirst. This speaks of renewal or 
refreshing because Jesus thirsted on the external so that we can have an internal thirst. See, when we, when we come to church, we should have a thirst for something. When we read the word, we should have a thirst for something. When we worship God, we should have a thirst for God. Amen. The Bible says, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so does my heart pant after thee. So in other words, you should have something about your relationship with Jesus Christ that you thirst for him. When you're confused and you're broken, you thirst for him to come and make you whole again. When you don't mind laying on the floor for, you know, a few minutes just to say, Lord, all I want to do is think about you. Because your mind has been full of everything that you've been going through. And you just lay on the floor and say, God, I thirst for you only. Come to me now. Even as Jesus thirsted, I thirst in a spiritual way for you right now. So that speaks of refreshing. It speaks of renewal. And that's available for you at the cross. Want to go to the next one? Okay, the next one, the sixth one. The sixth statement says, John 19 and 30 says, it is finished. This speaks of victory. Now, notice Jesus said, it is finished, not I am finished. <laughs> and what was he talking about? He was talking about the cost of redemption. But the work of the ministry had just began. So Jesus says, it is finished. Now, the word finished in the Greek, if you were a businessman, in business life at that time, it indicated that a debt had been paid in full. So if you would talk to someone and they paid you all that they owe you, you would say, it's finished. So in other words, Jesus was saying that the debt has been paid. Because you couldn't pay it. But Jesus said, I'll pay it. So in other words, I paid the ransom for you. It's finished. It's over, paid in full, wiping the slate clean. No matter where you came from, Jesus says, I got it. No matter what you've done, Jesus says, I got it covered. It's finished. It's done. I paid it. So if he paid it, you don't have to worry about paying for it. All you have to do is receive it. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I did. It doesn't matter what you did. Jesus said, I paid for it, and all you have to do is come and get it. Amen? Is that good news? That speaks of the victory. The seventh one. You ready for the seventh one? Here it is. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. It says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Hmm. Notice it. Started with father and it ended with father. Hmm. Jesus said, I commit my spirit to you, God. God is able to keep those who are committed to him. So now this comes back to a personal note. How committed are you to Jesus? How committed are you to your family? How committed are you to church and Bible study and studying the word? I mean studying the word, not reading it, because reading and studying the word are two different things. You can read the word, but then you can study the word too. And I know every year, every year, everybody coming out with these one-year reading plans, but ain't nobody studying. I don't care about reading the Bible. I want to study it, right? Because there are a lot of people read all the way through the Bible, and you ask them something about some scripture, and they go, is that in the Bible? I'm closing with this. Father, forgive them. I want you to know that there is forgiveness for you at the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to know today that there is salvation for you at the cross. He said, woman, here is your son, son, here is your mother. I want you to know today that there's love for you at the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I want you to know that there is an atonement for you at the cross. He said, I thirst. And I want you to know today that there is refreshing pools of water for you at the cross. He said, it is finished. For there is victory over sin for you at the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because I want you to know today that there is security for you at the cross. Now we come to the pivotal moment where the question has to be asked what cross you are on. Because he made these statements very specifically about a specific point so that everybody that was listening then and today would understand what's available to you. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.